And the, uh, and the sermon will be about the Articles 17 and 18. So let's read this article. Article 17 begins on page 505 in the Book of Praise. So Article 17. We believe that when he, God, so that man had thus plunged himself into physical and spiritual death and made himself completely miserable, our gracious God in his marvelous wisdom and goodness set out to seek man when he trembling fled from him. He comforted him with the promise that he would give him his son, his son born of a woman, to crush the head of the serpent and to make man blessed. In the article 18, we confess, therefore, that God has fulfilled the promise he made to the fathers by the mouth of the holy prophets, when at a time appointed by him, he sent into the world his own only begotten and eternal son, who took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of man. He truly assumed a real human nature with all its infirmities, without sin, for he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, the Blessed, Blessed Virgin Mary, by the power of the Holy Spirit and not by the act of a man. He not only assumed human nature as to the body, but also a true human soul, in order that he might be a real man. For since the soul was lost as well as the body, it was necessary that he should assume both to save both. Contrary to the heresy of the Anabaptists, who deny that Christ assumed human flesh of his mother, we therefore confess that Christ partook of the flesh and blood of the children. Hebrews 2, verse 14. He is a descendant of David, Acts 2, verse 30. Born of David according to his human nature, Romans 1, verse 3. Of the, virgin, of the womb of the Virgin Mary, Luke 1, verse 42. Born of a woman, Galatians 4, verse 4. A branch of David, Jeremiah 33, verse 15. A shoot of the stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11, verse 1. Descended from Judah, Hebrews 7, verse 14. Descended from the Jews according to the flesh, Romans 9, verse 5. Of the seed of Abraham, Galatians 3, verse 16. Since his son was concerned with the descendants of Abraham, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. Hebrews 2, verse 16 and 17 and Hebrews 4, verse 15. In this way, he is the true, our Emmanuel, that is God with us. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Article 16, the article previous to ours of this afternoon, we confess with the Church of the Reformation the great mercy of God that he did not abandon humanity after they, by their disobedience, has plunged themselves into perdition, or you could also say eternal damnation and ruin. God, after the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, showed himself 
to be as he is, says this article, merciful and just. Merciful in the election of those he would save, and just by leaving others in that fall and condemnation in which they have plunged themselves. And so they will continue to live a life of willful rebellion against God. They will not ever recognize God, and they have no use for the gospel and don't need a savior, unless, of course, the Lord turns them around. But those who are not chosen will not turn around. They will continue to live that life willfully. You, on a Saturday afternoon, would go to, to Walmart and stand by the exit, and you would ask everybody who comes out of Walmart, do you want to be saved? You will get many answers, saved from what? No, go, move on. You think you ask a silly question. That's how humanity by itself continues to live. It's just a miracle that God was willing for such a humanity to choose people to save them. That's God's plan of the eternal election of his people. And that eternal plan of the election of his people is actually the centerpiece of his great work of the predestination of predestination. The plan of God's predestination is that plan in which God from eternity has already determined whatsoever will come to pass. And whatsoever comes to pass serves to accomplish that central peace, the peace of God's election and the salvation of his chosen people. Now this afternoon with Article 17 and 18, we'll see how God in time works out that eternal plan of the salvation of his people. And we look at that under the team, our gracious God sets out to rescue fallen man. And he does that by, first of all, seeking fallen man and comforting them with a promise, and then also by sending his son to save his people. So, First on, we look at that God was seeking fellow men and, and comfort them with a promise. We read in our articles, Article 17, that God set out to seek man when he saw that men, thus by their disobedience to him, had plunged himself into spiritual and physical death and made himself completely miserable. That was speaking about our first father, Adam, of course. Now, the first question that needs to be answered is, what motivated God to do such a thing? And the answer to that question is also in our article. It says that our gracious God did this by his marvelous wisdom and goodness. So let's get that straight first. It was not man's misery which motivated God, but his own graciousness, his own wisdom, and his own goodness. 
looking at fallen man, this is what God saw. That none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's humanity. That's the picture of humanity that God saw when Adam fell into sin. For, for God, who is eternal, you know, the, the beginning and the end is the one picture. And in Adam he saw all of humanity. That's what he saw. There was really nothing left in man that in any way could possibly be attractive to God. So what awesome is it that God is gracious and wise and good. It's truly marvelous, is it not? God's grace is truly amazing. Just keep on having that picture in your mind that God saw when man fell into sin. Grace is amazing. And then we read that God set out to seek men who trembling fled from him. Then we automatically see in our mind described what we read in, in Genesis 3, verse 7 and 8. And we read it again. It says, Then the eyes of both were, of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man, Where are you? God set out to seek man. Did God set out to seek man because he didn't know where, where they were? Of course not. God knew exactly where they were and what they were doing. God set out to seek those who are not seeking him, but who filled with fear. There's an emotion that they had never felt before. But filled with fear, they were hiding. And so they, trembling, fled from God. Because of their disobedience, the unity between God and, and his created image was broken. Men had separated themselves from God and there was nothing left but to flee from him. And like I said, God for whom the past, the present, and the future is, is as it were one picture, saw not only Adam and Eve, but in them he saw the whole of humanity fleeing away from him. There they go, lost and wandering over the earth, pursued by the wrath of a judge. judge. There they go, loaded with guilt, and a burning conscience, a prey for misery, for grief, for pain, in the power of Satan, the most vicious, deadly, and cruel enemy man will ever have. There they go, 
hiding between the trees of the garden, covering themselves for the wrath of God with fig leaves. There we go, driven out by armed angels and all of creation, first subject to them, now opposes them. And was it only that they could endure this together, but the unity between them was broken. Instead of being one flesh of one spirit, there is division, blaming, the blaming of each other. Instead of the complimenting of one another, there is now the strife of who is the most to blame. All unity and harmony are broken. There is conflict between heart and mind, between soul and body, between conscience and passions. And there would be discord and hatred and murder within families, division between a man and his wife, between parents and children. There would be war between nations, and people would purposely inflict on each other suffering thought out in hell itself. And with all this, man hears God approaching, calling them to come before him. God, before God, who is holy and righteous and judge. God, whose friendly shine have in their mind become an inapproachable light. Nothing is left for them than to tremble and to hide in the bushes, to to flee from him. So what a sad picture of brokenness. What an awful picture of evil. What a terrifying picture, also of a cursed world. One could hear, so to speak, the cackle of Satan reverberate over all that was once called good by God. What did man do? Do we still do? But God, but God is gracious and wise and good. And he went, saw that men had thus plunged themselves into physical and spiritual death and had made himself completely miserable. He then moved by that amazing grace and that marvelous wisdom and infinite goodness set out to seek man. And when God found them, he poured out not his eternal wrath, but his love upon them. And he comforted them by promising him his own son, born of a woman, to bruise the head of the serpent and to make man blessed, says an article. God did not let go of man. In his marvelous wisdom, he had designed a plan in which his love and mercy, as well as his perfect justice, would be satisfied. Man had broken God's covenant, but man, but God did not let go of man. And so praise the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy truly endures forever. God had made a covenant with man. In paradise, God made a covenant with man, and he had said that 
upon that disobedience, that would follow. Implying that if men would keep God's command, they would continue to have life. Now, this covenant, historically, by all early reformers, was called the covenant of works. But later theologians objected to the idea that Adam would have earned eternal life instead of having received it by God's grace, and therefore they called it instead the covenant of God's favor. And others called it the covenant of paradise. And others again, again the covenant of, covenant of creation. A nice confusing of a simple issue. There is, of course, something good to say about each one of those names, but just hold on to that name of covenant of works, and I will explain you why. It is not because Adam would have earned eternal life by being obedient by his works, because Adam would receive what God gave him, eternal life, out of pure grace, but in the way of his obedience, the same way as that the believer receives assurance of salvation not because he does good work, but in the way, by doing the good works. See the difference? And, and hold on to that name of covenant of works also because Christ, by his mighty work of his obedience unto death, by his awesome work of atonement for sinners, fulfilled this covenant of works. For all those who believed in him. And he truly earned salvation. And he earned it for his people. By his works. You see this covenant of works. Is still in effect today. It is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the believer stands before God. In the covenant of grace. That covenant with God initiated with our first parents, Adam and Eve, when after he set out to seek them, he promised them his son. That's when the covenant of grace was initiated. When men broke the covenant of works, when they broke that covenant that said, the day that you eat of that tree will surely die, and cursed is everyone who does not continue in everything written in the book of law, then God did not away with that covenant. God did also not away with the threat of that covenant. But God placed a mediator, his son, between the, that threat and, and all those who came to believe in his son. But those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ continue to be accountable for every good work they did not do. Continue to be accountable for every evil work they continue to do. And the, and the Lord's terrible wrath is looming over them continually. The only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the by God appointed mediator. In between him and God stands the demand of a broken covenant of works and his curse which he satisfied on the cross. And now between God and the believer is the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him, every believer, for every believer, the covenant of works is fulfilled. 
finished and the covenant of grace forever established. Now those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ do not need to fear any longer. They do need to hide any longer. They may draw near to God as his children for Christ's sake. Instead of trembling, fleeing from him, they may trustingly put their hand into the Father's hand and walk with him in the cool of the day again. And all this, because God in his amazing grace and in his marvelous wisdom and goodness set out to seek man to come for them with that glorious promise. In his marvelous wisdom, he decided to let nothing again depend upon man, as was the case with the first Adam, but let it all depend upon his goodness and upon, her, upon the second Adam, who is truly man and truly God, our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom nothing is impossible. So, so far now... God's promise to mankind. Let's now see in our second point how God fulfilled that promise. Article 18 begins with the words, We confess, therefore, that God has fulfilled the promise he made to the fathers by the mouth of the holy prophets. And the mouth of the holy prophets was, of course, directed by the Spirit of Christ. Christ was the one who was truly speaking, through his Spirit, speaking all throughout the Old Testament. That is what the Apostle Peter made so very clear in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11, where he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. All throughout the Old Testament, it was Christ who was speaking after all. And seen in that light, he is the Word. The Son of God is the prophet of the Old Testament. He, through his Spirit, spoke of himself throughout all the Old Testament. He spoke of himself in that mother promise. In, in, in Genesis 3, verse 15, he called himself their seed, her seed. And he spoke to Lamech, the father of Noah, and he, and he said about himself, he will comfort us in the labor and the painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And he spoke, was it also who spoke to, through Noah, who said, Blessed is the God of Shem. And so the holy lineage received the promise. To Abraham, he promised that in him all the nations would be blessed. He pronounced Isaac the son of the promise. He always loved Jacob. And through Jacob, he pointed to Judah as the one to, of whom the scepter would never depart. All throughout the Psalms, by the mouth of David, he sung about his sufferings and resurrection as the promised Messiah. Through Isaiah, he spoke of a virgin who would become pregnant and give birth to a son whose name would be Emmanuel. And through Isaiah, he also spoke of his suffering on behalf of his people. Think about Isaiah 53 and think about Christ speaking that through the prophet. It was Christ himself. <clears throat> 
And then in the fullness of time, he came. He had also spoken to Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem. And through Daniel, he spoke of the mighty world-fulfilling power of the kingdom that he would bring. And then in the fullness of time, meaning the time which God had appointed, God fulfilled what he once had promised by sending his only begotten and eternal soul, son, said the article. And we said, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. So great was his compassion on fallen man. So much he loved you, brothers and sisters. So much he desired to have you as his child. So much did he desire to share his glory with you. The son was sent by the father, but at the same time, the son came voluntarily. You could say that from eternity, God the son was ready to come into this world. Just as we read it in Psalm 40, where we read, where he speaks, and he says, Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. He was ready and willing to come, but not before his father would send him. Just as he will not come the second time before the father will send him. He came and took the form of a servant. He humbled himself. And he was born in the likeness of man. Our article says that he truly assumed, that means took upon himself, a true human nature with all his, its infirmities, but without sin. And with those words, our article summarizes the incarnation, the coming into the flesh of the Son of God. And this, brothers and sisters, is truly the greatest miracle that ever happened. For many believers, Christ's suffering and death seems to be the high point of Christ's redemptive work, and there is nothing wrong with that. But it would be so good if we all would rediscover the absolute wonder of Christ coming into our flesh. Think about this miracle of the Son of God, the Son of God who is eternal, who is incomprehensible, who is invisible, who is immutable, who is infinite, who is almighty, coming into the human flesh with all its infirmities, with all its weaknesses. Rightly, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians that he emptied himself for that. He laid it aside for you. Only for you. John Calvin, in his Institute, says the following about Christ coming in the flesh. He said, here is something marvelous. The Son of God descended from heaven in such a way that without leaving heaven, he willed to be born of the virgin's womb, 
go about the earth to hang upon a cross, and yet he continuously filled the world even as he had done from the beginning. It's marvelous. And you can't get your mind around that. But just cherish the love that he showed. Celebrate, celebrating Christmas is truly wonderful and worthy thing to do as long as you celebrate and adore that greatest wonder of all wonders of the eternal Son of God coming into our flesh, born of a virgin, in order to be our mediator, in order to be our savior, the one who will lead us again to holiness and glory. Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man. How human was Christ? Well, it says, in all things like us, except for sins. The article quotes Hebrews here. In all things like us, except for sins. But remember now, that it is not sin that makes us human. No, it is sin that makes us miserable humans. As a matter of fact, sin makes one more and more inhuman. So how was it possible that Christ be born without sin? Well, we read in Article 14 of the Belgian Confession that through Adam's disobedience, sin had become natural to all of his offspring. And in Romans 5, verse 12, we read that through one man, through Adam, sin entered the world, and so all men sinned. The article explains that too. Because from the Lord Jesus, we know that he had no human father. But that Mary became pregnant because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit without the means of man. And that broke that terrible sin, or a terrible chain of sin. Our Heidelberg Catechism in question and answer 35 says that Mary conceived by the working of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what the angel said in Matthew 1 verse 18 to Joseph. That we read, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, verse 35, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. But although sinless, Christ was truly human. How human was his body? Well, Jesus grew up, grew from an embryo into a baby, then into a toddler, a young man, a full-grown man, just as every man. And from the Bible, we know that, that Jesus became hungry. You can read that in Matthew 4. But just like we can become hungry. He became thirsty, just like us. That he, just as we do, became tired. That he slept. He needed it. 
that he experienced sorrow and pain and, and died. All, all those things, just like us. Our article says that Christ not only assumed a human body, but also a human soul in order that he might be a real man. For since the soul was lost as well as the body, it was necessary that he assumed both in order to, in order to save both. It says article again. Just remember how God made man. From the dust of the ground, he formed the human body. And then he breathed into his nostrils the bread of life. That's the soul. And so man became a living human being. Body and soul both belonged to the human nature and both needed to be redeemed. And that Christ really had a human soul, we also know from Scripture. He said it himself in, in Matthew 26, verse 38. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And in John 12, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? The evidence of the humanity of Jesus' soul we also find when we read about his emotions. Jesus became angry. He became irritated. And he showed distress and sorrow. All this shows that Lord Jesus was truly man, body and soul, in all things except for sin. He truly assumed human nature now. All this was so necessary. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question 16 asks, why must he, that is the mediator, be true a righteous man? And then the answer, he must be true man, because of the, ju the justice of God requires that the same nature that has sinned should pay for sin. And he must be a righteous man because the man who is himself a sinner cannot pay for the sins of others. Now think about it. Was all this necessary for him who always was the very radiance of God's glory? Was it necessary for him who was worshipped by angels? Was it necessary for him of whom God the Father testified that in him he was well pleased? Was it necessary for him who from eternity to eternity is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who in harmony only known to them rejoiced in each other and were not in need of anything because our triune God is the utter fullness, the absolute satisfaction? and the infinitely self-sufficient one, was it necessary for him? No. It was necessary for us. It was necessary for us sinners, who by our very nature inclined, are inclined to hate God. For us who mistreated the many servants the Father sent and who finally killed the Son, for us who despised him, for us who hid our faces for him, for us who considered him stricken by God, for us who, by, who we by our sins nailed to the cross, for us it was necessary that he did all these things. 
truly humbled himself for us. And because it was so necessary for us, and because God is gracious and just and wise and good, he gave the Son and he sent him. And the Son came and became in all things like us except for sin, so that he could pay for sin, so that we may confess that we are the children of God. Not a comfort. We are the children of God. Christ purchased us. We belong to him. And if he now called to mind again that picture that God saw when he looked at Solomon, no one sought him. No one did any good. And so on. Now Christ becomes a thing too wonderful for us to grasp with our mind. But he is true. And so yes, it is true that God's ways are higher than ours, but let us praise him for it. It is true that God is, God's plan is infinitely wise, and let us adore him for it. Yes, it is true that God's love is beyond our understanding, but let's love him for it. No, we cannot comprehend, and we cannot understand everything about our God, but, may, but we may believe in him, and we may trust him, and we may love him even more. And yes, let, let us always love him even more. Amen. Congregation, let's sing hymn 37, the stances 1 and 2.